Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Business of Medicine series on ENT in a Nutshell. I'm your host, Ashlyn Asiri, and today we're joined by Dr. Pat Basu to discuss the benefits and drawbacks of obtaining additional degrees. Dr. Basu, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Ashley. Thanks for having me on. Before we begin our discussion, I'll introduce our guest. Dr. Basu is a radiologist turned entrepreneur and business leader who has served as an executive in the clinical, corporate, government, and private equity sectors. He obtained his Master of Business Administration alongside his medical doctorate prior to residency. Dr. Basu currently serves as the CEO and president of the Cancer Treatment Centers of America and the Brown Legacy Group, a financial advising firm. Prior to this, he served as the Senior Vice President of the United Healthcare Group, where he led Optum Care, the nation's largest physician practice and value-based business. He also helped start Doctors on Demand, the nation's largest provider of video-based healthcare that reaches over 30 million Americans. Needless to say, he's made good use of his MBA, and today he's going to help us understand the benefits and drawbacks of attaining additional degree before, after, or during medical training. Dr. Basu, before we get into why one might pursue an additional degree, can you broadly describe the differences between the most common degrees that complement an MD and when one might pursue one degree over another? Sure. Happy to do so, Ashley. There's actually so many degrees that doctors can pursue to augment and enhance the impact that they can have in their careers in in a variety of ways. To pick a couple of the common master's programs, I would say one of the most common would be the master's in public health, the MPH, uh, the master's in public policy, the MPP, as I chose to pursue the the master's in business administration, the MBA, and then a couple of of other programs. You know, happy to get into those later. I do think that there is a a pretty concrete difference between those different degree programs. I, I think an MBA is a very kind of practical, tactical business uh, and administration skill set. Whereas a master's in public health really is more of a, as the name would imply, the ability to sort of influence macro level healthcare policy. And a master's in public policy would be sort of the same from a, a government affairs perspective. So, so just to get really tactical about it, uh, you know, an MBA I think is is very helpful for physician entrepreneurs, business executives, uh, for physicians on that end of the business spectrum. Whereas if if somebody wanted to help a city or a county or a state with their public health policy, then I think a master's in public health is an outstanding uh, degree for that. And if somebody wants more of a generalized uh, government uh, approach, then an MPP would would be helpful there. Great. So if we're thinking, if we're in the situation where we're either a trainee or later on in our career, and we're thinking about, you know, should I go ahead and pursue one of these additional master's degrees? What are some of the things that you think about broadly that an additional degree can get you or how it can complement your career? So the first thing that I advise people who are contemplating this decision is to think very long-term about what kind of impact that they want to have at least 15, 20 years down down the line. Number two, how much of that long-term vision do they anticipate being beyond the scope of the the wonderful and fulfilling clinical aspect of medicine? Three, I ask people to think about sort of the opportunity cost 
of of time and dollars and energy and resources that that are spent on that. So I sometimes draw for NTs this diagram. It's on it's on a football field, and I put different jobs on that field. You can picture kind of the left end zone. I put a a doctor who's practicing ninety to one hundred percent of the time clinical medicine, and in the opposite end zone, I put things such as starting your own medical company, becoming the CEO of a large organization, basically. You know, I tell people if you're going to cross that 50 yard line and get into where you're spending more of your time utilizing business or policy skill sets, then I think the investment in time and money is well worth it. On the other hand, if you're on the left side, the clinical side of that 50 yard line, you know, I get a lot of people who say, well, you know, I'd like to just be able to run my practice a little bit better, or I'm a part of a small group and I want to be able to lead the practice a little bit better, or, you know, I work at a large academic medical center and I'm the the assistant medical director of a certain specialty or service line. I actually encourage people to really think hard and perhaps lean towards not getting it. The opportunity cost in, in many other ways may not justify those uses. And I've definitely seen some doctors who several years ago got a master's degree and it's kind of sits on the shelf a little bit. Uh, versus versus people who really use it. And, and I, I always just encourage people to really think about the long-term view of that spectrum of, of, of opportunities and, and really think hard about whether the degree is necessary or not. I think that's a really great point that you bring up is that you have to have the foresight to look very long-term and really understand how you can use that degree to shape your career and make an impact. I know, you know, just speaking from personal experience, the even the application process to go through um, when you're applying for an MBA specifically, they look for those things in your application and you have to have a pretty solid plan or idea of what you're going to specifically be using that skill set for. What are some of the things that obtaining an additional degree does not get you? In other words, you know, we look for specific skill sets, but is there something that folks that traditionally believe that additional degree can accomplish that maybe it doesn't really do that? Absolutely. Uh, Number one on the top of that list, I would say, would be experience and specifically really hard operating experience. So, so. Imagine somebody in their first year of medical school, if you could imagine there's no such degree like this, but if there had been something called a master's in medicine instead of a medical degree, imagine somebody going through that that course and they, they learn pathophysiology, they learn pharmacology, they learn anatomy, but they're just not steeped in the practice of taking care of a patient. I got my my MBA, uh, you know, 16 uh, years ago or so, and every job that I've had since then has added exponentially. The MBA was the foundation; it gave me some of the building blocks, similar to a you know a medical education where you learn anatomy or you learn physiology. But the experience is something that the degree in and of itself will will not give you. So that's number one. Number two, which is a subset of that experience, would be really rigorous operating experience. And this is a term that 15 years ago, I didn't really know what people meant. But again, I make the analogy for doctors of being on call. Now imagine the first time you're a second year resident or a chief resident, and it's really the first time where that 
that patient decision is entirely in your hands. And that's what operating experience does for you. When, when you are responsible for the outcome of a, of an organization or a business, um, when you are managing the, the people processes, budgets, technology that moves that needle, that is a, is a big fundamental step. And, and so People can take you know, advisory roles or consultancy roles, and, and that can help. But again, it's, it's not going to deliver that ball in your hands type of feeling that, um, that comes from, from being an operator. So in other words, it gives you the building blocks to develop the skills that you need to be able to perform some of these high-level tasks, but the actual learning uh, about how to do this comes after with you know just actual practical experience. When we think about uh, other reasons why um, in some other fields outside of medicine, folks will pursue additional degrees, uh, the impact of salary usually comes up. Um, you know, in the business world and in different industries, uh, many people will pursue an MBA to uh, increase their salary potential. Is this true in medicine? And does it actually play out differently for folks who stay in academics or who are in private practice or even those who end up leaving clinical practice? Yeah, it's a great, a great question. In, in, in the pure business world, there are studies of degree and what that means for future income potential. For doctors, the, the correlation factor there might be a lot less. But let's just start with kind of physician economics as it is. Uh, you know, as you and I know, a doctor working at in the academic medical faculty makes a lot less than a doctor practicing in private practice, um, which is quite different than the way it works in the labor market for business executives and lawyers, where normally there is a tight correlation between the the sort of prestigious positions and and the dollars. If you add in, let's say, an MBA to that mix, it really, really depends on what job that is. There are certain business jobs that pay tremendously more than a physician, you know, or orders of magnitude more than what a physician makes. But let's just take a, whatever, maybe a median income of a physician, let's say a specialist, let's say a primary care doctor, maybe making a little north of $200,000 and maybe a specialist making three fifty. There are a lot of business jobs that would pay less than that. You know, a, a vice president job, a, a, a consultant job, something that might pay, you know, $150,000, $175,000, which just to be clear, of course, is a great income in, in the United States of America. I don't want that to be lost. So there are some jobs that, that might pay, you know, well into the seven figures. And so the variability in a business job is tremendously wider than it is in medicine. And so it's, it's a hard question to sort of answer. I would generally tell people, though, salary specifically is probably not the right reason to pursue this. I would say that the long-term impact, as well as their long-term happiness, is, is probably that should be the guiding lights as opposed to kind of the salaries, just because of, of that variability of which we spoke about. And I think the it's a long road, so you need to really, really know what you're signing up for. 
Yeah. And, you know, overall, getting an additional degree is a very personal decision. And, you know, although this episode is about all of the potential degrees that one could get, like a master's degree, I think a lot of the um, principles across are the same in how you make that decision. Um, What specifically drove you to obtain an MBA during your time in medical school? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting some of the reasons that you start off getting it versus the ways that you end up applying it. And and for me, it's a little bit of a mix of both. So I actually, I was actually an engineer in, in undergrad. And, uh, and so without a doubt, what initially drove me to get an MBA was engineering taught me to look at a system and, and think of how to optimize that system. So in engineering, it was how do you make the plane faster, the car safer, the bridge stronger. And so even as an early medical student, I just saw a system that was broken. It wasn't due to a lack of talent. Doctors were some of the smartest human beings on the planet. It wasn't due to a lack of resources. You know, there's three, three and a half trillion dollars of, you know, American um, GDP that goes into healthcare every year. It was a poor deployment of talent, a poor deployment of resources in IT. And and one of the, the enlightening things for me was the skill sets that an MBA taught to me were the foundation, the groundwork for some of what was missing in healthcare. You learn the the methodologies to deploy uh, financial resources, technical resources, communication, managerial skill sets. Uh, a, a very quick anecdote: I, I used to have a a wonderful pediatrician mentor, and he was taking me into an administrative meeting, and. This doctor, we'll call him Dr. L, said, hey, Mr. Let's call him Mr. CEO. He, he's a really nice guy, but he, boy, you'll see. He just doesn't know anything about medicine. On the way out, I knew the CEO. He put his hand on my shoulder. He goes, boy, that Dr. L, he sure is a great doctor, right? But he just doesn't know anything about how to run a hospital or business, right? And it, it showed me that at the base level, there is a level of communication followed by a level of credibility that just allows you to get into the the realm of solving complex and grand challenges. And, um, and, and so without a doubt, that aspiration of building a better healthcare system is what got me to get the MBA. It is still what fuels me in my career, but along the way, it's, it's enabled me to pick up skill sets from, you know, from venture capital to, uh, you know, management to even, again, I don't think I would have worked at the White House had I not um, chosen this career path. So, um, you know, it takes you in, in some meandering paths, but the, the, the true vision, the true north is still to, to build a better American healthcare system. Well, you perfectly led me into my next question, which is what are some of the surprises you encountered during and after your master's program? And in other words, you know, did the the MBA provide you with any skills or experiences that you were not expecting? Absolutely. You need enough of a vision that you have purpose and velocity and, and drive towards that, but you also need enough flexibility to adjust along the way. If you're driving from New York to California, better to say, yeah, I'm going to California, but don't just say, hey, I'm going to Clark Street in Palo Alto, California. <laughs> you know, you you want to you give yourself a little bit of a, of a range there. And 
I have ended up doing a fair amount of, of venture capital work, which, you know, for your, your audience, what does that mean? It means uh, investing in businesses that require private capital in order for them to grow. I, truth be told, when I started my MBA, didn't even know what venture capital and private equity were. Um, I, I have become an entrepreneur, having co-founded a, a relatively large company. Of course, I knew the term entrepreneurship, but I didn't really know that entrepreneurship as a discipline, as a science existed in the way that it does. I thought it was sort of this light bulb go off in your head and all of a sudden you, you start a company where, where quite the contrary, that's that's definitely not how it works. Um, and, and that theme has continued throughout my career. I, I often tell people that I didn't know what a White House fellow was until a couple of years before I, I became one. And I don't think it stems from naivete, at least I, I hope not. I think it's it, it comes from sort of this idea that you're you're on this path, you're on this vision, but you again, you're picking up new skill sets and you're open to new ideas along the way. There's a great Sun Tzu quote, which is opportunities multiply as they are seized. And um, you know, you kind of picture these various pathways opening as you step onto new ones. And I think that's a pretty good metaphor to um to at least what I've found in my career. I would agree that I've had a very similar experience in being exposed to things that I just didn't know um, existed. And then, you know, having a relatively easy time staying open-minded and trying new things. For anyone who does decide to proceed with an additional degree, how do you recommend that they proceed through that? Should they try as many new experiences that they can, or should they largely stay focused on what they're there to accomplish, any specific advice in that regard? So, so let's just say, for sake of kind of argument on this mythical football field of, of jobs that I've drawn with clinical in one end zone and true business at the other end of the end zone. So let's say somebody's gotten a master's degree to augment their, their medical degree. And let's just say they've made the decision to kind of cross that 50-yard line. They're going to spend more of their career, more of their time, more of their resources on the kind of the macro side of things. The other graph that I would ask people to kind of consider would be this. If you put time on the x-axis and some measure of breadth versus depth on the y-axis, what you find, in my opinion, is over time for a lot of the jobs on the right-hand side of that football field, you want to favor breadth over depth. Now, that's very, very different than what we're trained to do as physicians. As physicians, you know, if, if I can't diagnose newest and, and worst degree of tumor on a musculoskeletal MRI, if I can't determine uh, which bundle is torn versus which one is not, I, we, you know, we joke that we're heading towards having the left pinkyologist, you know, right, in medicine. But there's some truth to that. You, you know, in medicine, that depth of specialization really helps you. But on this other side of the football field, whether it's business or whether it's policy, breadth over depth helps you. In other words, the first time I became a, a chief operating officer, it was no longer could Pat put a stent in with great precision. It was could Pat manage 500 physicians? Could Pat manage 400 engineers? Could Pat manage a sales team of a, you know, of a hundred people, so on and so forth. And in that case, the breadth of your experiences helps you. So I would encourage people, number one, 
to if they're going to make that decision to get that breadth of experiences. And the number two, I, I was giving a, a kind of a, I was speaking on a panel one time in Washington. They wanted to know, you know, how does somebody end up getting a job in the White House? I asked the audience to raise their hands. Raise your hands if you're a lawyer. All the hands went up. Raise your hands if you're a, if you've been an assistant chief of staff, a chief of staff. Again, most of the hands went up. And I said, I paraphrased, you don't want to be a needle in a stack of needles. You want to build a differentiated skill set. And again, that's where, you know, some element of breadth helps. So, so finally, Ashley, to answer your question, I, I would say don't just take a random walk on breadth, but really think specifically at that long term, what are the skill sets that you lack and how can you go about in, from an experience perspective and how can you go about accruing those to make you a better leader uh, for your team and for society? When we think about, you know, the some of the benefits of obtaining an additional degree, aside from just the skill set and the practical knowledge that you learn through that education, a big part of it ends up being the network that you build and the different types of people that you meet in this alternative path. How do you feel like the network that you developed during your MBA impacted your day-to-day career or even the trajectory of your career? Tremendously, absolutely tremendously. I have have always been a you know very gregarious person on the you know the Myers Briggs. You know, I've always been very extroverted, but I, I I never really understood or appreciated you know networking as a specific um, discipline until it was really inculcated as as a part of of business training. A network is not, oh, okay, you know, you know the right people and you're going to get that job. It's, it's often not that direct. In fact, one of the big differences when you go from medicine into business or medicine to policy is you move from a linear world to a nonlinear world. Networking is nonlinear. It's not, okay, I need to go meet this person, I'll get a job. Nor should it be. It shouldn't be so self-serving. Um, it's, it's much rather a larger kind of stochastic process. And, and also, it's not just about kind of getting a job or even succeeding in a job. Oftentimes, the network is, is just a great group of people for you to grow and reflect ideas off of. And they have a shared set of experiences, a shared set of skill sets that you can bounce ideas off of, that you can, you know, use as a support structure professionally. Um, And then absolutely, I find that the second degree of your network is very valuable. In other words, it's often not somebody you know directly that you might work with, but it's often somebody that they know or somebody that you know that will make that connection. So I think networking is is powerful, it's valuable, but it needs to be done kind of in the right in the right way. And and one also needs to invest the other direction too. You you don't want to be somebody who just draws and pulls from the network. You want to be somebody who invests in giving back and in mentoring others and and helping develop others. And and like most things in life, you you know what you get out of it is is a direct relationship to what you put into it. I would agree with that, and I do find the concept of linearity and nonlinearity fascinating. Let's just go into that right now. Sure. So, Ashley, if you think about your medical career, 
unbelievably fulfilling. I think the practice of medicine is is one of the most noble, one of the best professions in the history of, of humankind. And I, I hope that it continues to be that way. But one big difference is it's very linear. I could have predicted by my sophomore year in college, I'm going to do really well in college. I'm going to you know, ace my MCATs. I'm going to, you know, get a broad set of experiences and I'll go to a great medical school. And then you're going to do the same thing. You'll do well in medical school. You're going to do really well on your board exams and you'll go into a great residency. And it's almost like this linear tunnel where you know exactly what you need to do in business and in policy. One has to have much more comfort with ambiguity. There's, there's no kind of defined tread, no defined path. If you were to say, hey, Pat, I want to become the CEO of this organization, or I want to be an entrepreneur in this field, or I want to, uh, you know, from a health policy perspective, have this type of influence, there isn't this well-tread path. It's, it's, it's exponential. And it's exponential also in this following sense. You could have, just like an entrepreneurship you could have 10 conversations in entrepreneurship and it leads to zero funding or zero success, but all of a sudden the 11th time does, right? It's kind of the same thing in, in other aspects of business. Whereas in medicine, there is a much more input output relationship um, that sort of builds. And that's one of the biggest things that I find when I, when I mentor physicians kind of crossing this chasm, that's a big mental sort of paradigm adjustment that they have to make. And it's, it's a not, e not an easy one to adjust to. That's a great point. And as you mentioned before, the practice of clinical medicine is extremely fulfilling. And I think most people would agree with that which makes it even harder to decide that you may give up a portion or if not all of that to pursue another interest. Can you speak to how you made that decision to leave clinical practice and what that meant to you? Absolutely. You know, to this very day, when I still go in, you know, clinical, the nurses will sometimes joke, um, well, Dr. Basu, you, you seem to be the happiest doctor that we've ever met. You're always smiling. And, and I sometimes joke, I say, well, that's, that's cause I, you know, maybe I'm only, I'm only doing this, uh, you know, it's a, a 10th of the time. And, and for me, I, I love the macro and I'll explain that in a second. I like the variety, the macro being for me, I want to influence healthcare for 10 million people or a hundred million people. Um, and I've also been drawn to the idea that in a given day, even if it is one of those clinical days, I'm still working on business and I'm working on policy and I'm working on, you know, uh, what for me are interesting decisions. There are, there are several friends of mine who are not that way. Um, some who really don't want the variety. They want to laser focus in into kind of their, their given specialty. And they really want to make that impact at the bedside. And I always say that I can't do what I do without people like that. They get their, their biggest passion out of that one-on-one -on -one patient interaction. And so I, I think people, number one, a big thing I tell people is don't run away from something. If I had four lifetimes, I would still practice medicine full-time. I, I just love and I see my impact in the business and policy world to be larger, whereas I do mentor and meet certain physicians who 
if you were to ask them their number one reason for maybe pursuing another degree or career option is because they're politely telling me they, they sadly really dislike the practice of medicine, that can be very dangerous, you know? And so, you know, I, I think people should always endeavor to run towards something instead of from something. And, uh, and for me, uh, I was running towards a, a large, broad impact on American medicine and American society with the career path that I, that I chose, um, as opposed to intentionally saying, hey, I don't want to practice five days a week. Now, we've briefly covered some of the costs of obtaining an additional degree. Obviously, the actual cost, the direct cost of the program itself, but there's also quite a bit of opportunity cost associated with that. Can you go more into detail about how some of our listeners should think about this and how to make that decision? Sure. Happy happy to do so. So just to kind of define a couple of business terms, accounting costs would be sort of what you spend on something. So it would be the direct cost, let's say, of tuition. Oftentimes, your economic costs is the is that accounting cost plus your opportunity cost meaning it's in that case it would be the tuition spent plus whatever your lost income was so i often say that your val- most valuable resource is always time if if you were given $86,400 every single day um with the the caveat that you had to spend it by midnight every day you probably wouldn't be too unhappy um, but we're given that many seconds every day, but we don't look at it with the same level of vigilance as we do with with other resources. So time is absolutely the most valuable one. Are you enjoying your, your life, your family, your, your physical health? And then, of course, money. So every time you make a decision, you're making a trade-off. All too often, I, I do meet people who say, oh, yeah, you know what? I'll just take a couple of years and go get a, a master's degree. Well, we're great. As a fan of higher education, I applaud that attitude. But in the long run, let's just say you're a young attending physician making a couple hundred thousand dollars. You take two years off to go get a, you know, to get a master's degree. So that's $400,000 of lost income plus probably $150,000 of tuition. So you're talking about a half a million dollars worth of investment, not to mention just time and things like that. So when I when I portray it like that, you might say, well, geez, why should you do it? Well, the risk needs to be outweighed by the benefit. People really need to think what they're endeavoring to do in the long term. Will this additional degree help them? It will not just entirely do it, but will it put them on a path to get there? because the investments of time and cost are real. And depending on what stage in your career you are, they can get even more real. There might be some folks and obviously some listeners who might be you know, well into their 40s or 50s, kind of in their prime earning years, maybe they have a family. And, and so one needs to really be kind of cognizant about what they're investing in terms of time, health, and dollars, and making sure that why they're doing it justifies that. Are there any specific ways that you can mitigate some of these costs? There are, you know, and the study of economics is often that there is a, a finite amount of resources against a, an infinite amount of of demand. So um, at some point, all of us as as type A competitive, relatively successful people, we try and play this game to the nth degree. But if you really step back. Oftentimes, you're kind of trading one for the other. But the most direct way to kind of answer your question would be 
well, there are programs that accelerate the time or accelerate the dollars. You know, if you can get a master's degree in one year instead of two for half the tuition instead of the full tuition, going nights and weekends instead of, you know, full time so you can keep working, all of those things will mitigate it. But it doesn't eliminate the decision making that I'm still advocating for. Because even if you take that example, let's just say I've decided I want to go get one of these master's degrees. But instead of doing it in two years, I'm going to do it over a year, I'm going to go nights and weekends, and I'm going to pay 60% tuition. There's no question that you're, you're going to save some time and money. But that can be time away from family, that can be time away from research, that can be time away from just your physical and emotional health. Um, so again, very worthwhile if you have a real reason, a real passion, a real North Star for doing it. Probably still not terribly worthwhile if it's just a, hey, I'm doing this for the sake of doing it. But yes, those are some ways to sort of mitigate the, the time and cost of, of pursuing one of these degrees. Yeah. And, you know, the the common theme of our episode today is that you really have to have a good reason and some good insight as to how you're going to use some of the skills that you're chasing with an additional degree. And I suspect that a large portion of our listeners are going to hear this podcast and say, well, you know, I think obtaining some of those skills uh, is important, but maybe I don't fall into that category of needing to formally obtain an additional degree. For those listeners who can't necessarily justify going after something this time-consuming and costly, are there ways to get exposure to some of the same experiences, educational content, networking opportunities without formally completing a master's program? Absolutely. And in, in fact, I would say this. I even tell people who explicitly want to cross that 50-yard line that you don't necessarily need to have one of these degrees. In fact, the, the thing that you need is real operating experience. And in, in this case, I mean business operating or policy operating um, experience in that field. So sometimes I tell people, hey, listen, instead of going to, to spend two years getting this degree, I can connect you to this company that's looking for a person, or here's an incubator that's looking to teach you how to start your own company. There's that avenue, number one. And and then absolutely, at this day and age, there are just nice bite-sized ways to go get specific skill sets. So let's say you're that physician who wants to be able to run her or his own practice better. Well, probably don't need to go and get an MBA, but maybe you take a you know, one quarter of an accounting class that helps you with managing the the books. Let's say that you, uh, you know, want to do more uh, kind of public clinical public health or, or, you know, speaking on pandemics and things like that. Maybe you don't need to go get an MPH or an MBA. Maybe you can take a, a specific course on, you know, communication. So looking for specific resources um, it can help in the educational realm, but also just going out and trying to get those experiential skill sets is, is as always, probably the best way to do so, right? It's that difference between that third-year med student and that second-year med student is, is the third-year med student has at least begun to do some of those things, um, let alone the resident. So oftentimes I tell people, if you can, instead of getting the education, you can go get the residency or the part residency in business or policy. And that's a very effective way, I think, of going about it. 
for our listeners who are interested in pursuing, you know, some additional education about these topics, are there any specific resources, whether online or in person, that you would recommend they look into? Yeah, you know, I I would definitely. Um, it kind of sounds like to say this now, uh, but still, when I you know when I work with residents and med students on just even a clinical capacity, I sometimes say that, you know, G- Google is actually your your best friend. Don't don't be afraid to use it. It's amazing sometimes what you find when you just put things into a you know into a search engine. Um, but much more formally, you know, I would I would advocate a few things. Talk to people like you. Talk to you know. I'm happy to to speak to people about these topics. I think using real human resources is always valuable. Um, looking at various um, curricula uh, online and, and seeing what they have to offer. Um, sometimes just looking at various career paths and pulling up somebody's bio and saying, oh, you know what, that sounds interesting to me. Um, let me contact them and see you know, what, what they advise to do or what not to do, I think can also be an effective um, kind of adjunctive way to um, you know, to having some um, career strategy around this. I think you bring up a great point, which I have utilized significantly, is just having the courage to reach out to people and ask them about their experience. Um, You'd be surprised at how many people are gracious enough to respond to you and to, you know, be willing to give you some, some of their opinions and some of their advice as they've gone through some of the same experiences that you have. Dr. Basu, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, Do you have any last words of advice for our listeners? Well, maybe I'll just build on what you said there. Absolutely reach out to people. I think many of us benefited. I I certainly benefited from tremendous mentorship um, in in my career and and people responding to an email or or a phone call. So, um, you know, paying it forward and and not being afraid to to reach out, You, you get tremendous advice and you kind of put that together and you form your own, your own plan. So I would just tell, tell people to have the, you know, the, the courage to explore new avenues, have the faith and the patience to, to take the long term, and, uh, and then have the discipline to really, um, you know, have a, have a focused vision around, you know, the impact that they're trying to have on, on people in society. So thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Dr. Basu. Well, folks, that about wraps up our episode of ENT in a Nutshell. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. 